Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thanks very much to Beverly Canaris for the great hour we just had. I'm just looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I just love God's Word. I love studying it. I love talking about it. And we're going to do lots of that in this hour as well. Uh, Rick Dack's going to be joining us in just about 60 seconds. There's an apologetics conference coming up he's speaking at uh, tomorrow at the University of Northwestern. So let's take uh, 60 seconds and hear about that. Get grounded in God's Word each morning with the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. When you sign up, you'll receive a daily email message containing a scripture passage to uplift and encourage you. Register under the subscriptions tab at MyFaithRadio.com or text the word VERSE to 555-888 and an email link will be sent to you. Again, just text VERSE to 555-888. Stay connected to scripture with the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. What is beautiful about the Lord God is the gracious way he will deal with you. Rather than shaming you with hands on hips, you will see the arms of the Father wide open waiting for his Son to come over the horizon. It's a place in your radio dial for hope. Faith Radio. Praise your name from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You are my God, and all I want to do is praise your name. I praise your name, and lift your voices and proclaim. You are my God, and all I want to do is praise your name. All I want to do is praise Welcome back to the show. I don't know what you got planned tomorrow. It's going to here in the Twin Cities. I think the weather man is saying something about wet and cool and rain and and dark clouds. So you know what? I got a great idea. You might want to head over to the 2019 Conference on Christian Apologetics. That's going to be here right at the University of Northwestern. Uh, and it's going to be uh, starting at 9 o'clock. Registration starts at 8.30 and it goes till 6. And there is going to be uh, a number of cool speakers, uh, many of which will be giving uh, very interesting uh, presentations on topics like uh, atheism, um, Hollywood and Jesus's final days, Adam and Eve, a literal interpretation, the reliability of the book of Acts, escaping from cults and the testimonies from that, exposing cult-minded control and manipulation. One of the presenters is Rick Dack. He um, uh, was a graduate here of the University of Northwestern. And he uh, studied apologetics and biblical archaeology, and he's on the studio line right now. Hello, Rick. Hey, Bill. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm excited that it's uh, Friday and that uh, we got a weekend coming up, and you're going to be quite busy tomorrow, aren't you? Oh, yes. It's going to be all day, and it's free. I love that word. I love free. <laughs> Who love, doesn't, right? <laughs> love free, yeah. And the uh, 
this conference or this uh, foundation has been around since 1946. It has been. We it's believed that uh, religion, religious analysis services has been around. It's probably the oldest apologetics organization in the country, if not the world. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And. And it sounds like you've got quite a variety of topics that you're going to cover. I, I mentioned a bunch of them at the top of the uh, top of the discussion here, but uh, tell us tell us more. Flesh it out a little bit more for us. Well, Steve Lagoon, the president of Religion Analysis Services, is going to be speaking on atheism. A few others are going to be talking about. Uh, actually leaving uh, non-Christian religious groups and giving their testimonies about how they were able to leave some of these strange, bizarre uh, faith groups. Um, and I'm going to be speaking on uh, Hollywood versus Jesus' final days and uh, the weird movies and TV Bible documentaries and animated series and what they say. And also I'm talking about uh, some good stuff that people can watch that is biblical and that uh, is... Uh, stuff that the whole family can enjoy and they can trust. Yeah, and I'm looking at uh, some of the other presenters, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm thinking about some of the people who have come out of cults, uh, leaving Mormonism behind, Kathy uh, Magdal. Uh, she was in the LDS Church for years and years and uh, has come out of it. I think it's interesting to hear testimonies of people that were so steeped in one of these religions and that, that seemed mysterious to a lot of believers because we don't know how they get manipulated and how they stay in. And then when they come to the truth of Christ, it's pretty powerful. Absolutely. You know, and and, and I guess the idea of being involved in these particular groups, people tend to think, well, since you don't hear about them a lot, I mean, you hear more so about Scientology these days, but uh, these groups are still around and still uh, affecting a lot of people, and people need to know the truth of the Scriptures and not uh, fall into uh, bizarre theology, that's for sure. So I see one of the topics is the Adam and Eve, a literal interpretation. Who's tackling mm-hmm. that one? That sounds very interesting. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, uh, for, from, you know, since I'm speaking on, you know, Hollywood and, and academia, there's, there's strange beliefs out there. I'm not exactly sure if our speaker's going to be speaking specifically on this, but the, there's been weird ideas that Adam's first wife was a, was a demon. Um, you've heard a little less fair, I'm sure. Um, it's the whole idea that uh, that Adam didn't marry Eve first. He married some demon named Lilith. Huh. It's just strange, bizarre things like that. And people tend to think that the Garden of Eden was not a literal place. It was a metaphor. It was a hyperbole. It was whatever you want to call it. Um, and then actually there's archaeology for it. I mean, there's at least three artifacts that depict in the very general form a man and a woman sitting around or standing around a tree and a snake standing on end. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. fact and the fact the Bible says that it's true is frankly all I need. But I love exactly. archaeology as well, and I think those are uh, for some of the people who are looking for uh, deeper evidence and and want to be able to know how to defend their position and their faith. It's it's never a bad idea to get equipped on apologetics, is it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and and Christ is considered the second Adam. Uh, there obviously was a first Adam. Exactly. So. <laughs> You know, if Christ was a literal historical figure, we know that uh, that uh, Jewish historians, as well as secular Greek historians, did have pointed to Christ and his followers. Then obviously there was a there's literal first second. There's a literal first. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about uh, the influence that Hollywood has, are you talking about the ways in which uh, Hollywood has attacked Christianity and uh, been 
uh, hostile towards it? I think hostile towards it. I think misrepresentation. I mean, let, let's take, for example, Family Guy. Um, there's uh, one in particular episode where, where Peter Griffin is having communion, and I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow, where the Last Supper is mocked, mm-hmm. um, where Peter Griffin is kneeling before the, the priest or the pastor, and he's given communion, and he asks the priest, is this really the blood of Christ? And, of course, his wine. And the priest says, yes. He says, well, that guy must have been wasted 24 hours a day, huh? Wow. Which means they're basically calling Christ an alcoholic. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's so offensive. It's so it disturbing. And, it, and that's nothing compared to some of the other things things that are that are on television yeah yeah you know, and the same thing with academia too i mean there's academics out there that have no clue what the scriptures say and sadly you know people like nt wright and john dominic cross and others christians still read their material mm-hmm. it's so disturbing rick that uh, so much so much animation is being watched by kids even though it's really not designed for kids kids should right. be watching that right and i yet... mean let's let's watch some good old bugs bunny right thank I, you. I love that stuff it's thank so you yes yes <laughs> <laughs> you wascally wabbit. You know, it's uh, they've come a, uh, quite a, di- a distance because they're trying to always get at younger minds. And right. animation seems to be a, a pretty gentle way of creeping into their into their TV viewing schedule because you know, animation's fun to watch. Right, and not all of the episodes are bad. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, there's bits and pieces here and there, but you need to know the scriptures to understand exactly what they're saying and being able to discern what they're saying. Yeah. So again, the conference is tomorrow, and that mm-hmm. would uh, be here at the University of uh, Northwestern, right yep, on the Nazareth campus here. Hall Nazareth in the great, great room. room. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Saturday, October fifth. That's tomorrow. Registration starts at eight thirty with a start time at nine. I looked at the schedule, and it looks like there's uh, a number of coffee breaks. And will, will there be good coffee? Uh, as far as I know, there will be excellent coffee. Uh-huh. I'm not a coffee drinker, so uh, I can't judge. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not going to hold that against you, but maybe just a little. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will be uh, praying for your event and uh, pray for your presentation. Rick, thanks so much for doing the show. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. You bet. Rick Dax been my guest. And again, the Christian Apologetics and Counter Cult Ministry Conference is going to be here tomorrow at the University of Northwestern in Nazareth Great Room. With the 8.30 start registration, 9 o'clock, it will begin, and it is for free. And if you want to head over to the website for the Conference on Christian Apologetics, the place to go is ras.org. That's ras.org. It's a free event. Once again, you can register right there at the website. We'll take a short break and be right back. Trace of sadness, although a tear 
I'm always glad when I get a chance to talk to Dr. Rebecca Ree. Uh, you can go and learn about her and her blog at RebeccaRee.net and her books and everything else she's working on. She is an absolute delight. She is a Hebrew scholar, yet she tells stories brilliantly. And I always uh, like talking to her. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Now, I know um, when you, you've got an aut- a son who's autistic, and I know that going shopping with him can be a little bit of a challenge at time, can it? It is. It is, especially since he's now um, seven years old. It's a tricky, tricky business. Uh huh. And you, um, you recently put a story on your website called White Van. It's fantastic. Um, yes. If you'd like me to tell that story, the way that goes is uh, I was on my way. Uh, my son didn't have school one day, and so I decided to take him shopping with me. And the reason that it's tricky uh, with shopping with him is he's not able. It, at least at this point, to walk alongside me in a store. He kind of needs to be grounded either. We bought a special stroller wagon that we put him in that he's big enough for him to sit in, and I can put a few items as I shop. But he basically, right now, because he can't walk alongside me, he'll bolt hither and yon in the store. So it's kind of a stressful experience. And uh, even when he's in the stroller, sometimes he stands up in it and wants to point at things and doesn't really quite understand the concept of purchasing things for money. That's a, that's a bit of the world that uh, he doesn't comprehend yet. So it's kind of a stressful event because I don't know whether I'll actually get my errand done, and I'm not really quite sure how he's going to respond in this less controlled environment than he has at home. So it's a, even when the, the things go well, it's still a stressful experience because of all the what-ifs. So I was on my way to the store, and I was kind of bracing for impact, thinking I hope things go well, but I have to kind of be prepared in case, you know, something does not go well. And on the way to the store, uh, on the highway, all of a sudden, I saw a white van. And the reason the white van in front of me was remarkable was because it had one of those decals, those like advertising decals that they spread on, you know, the side of a, a truck or a van. Mm-hmm. And it was advertising my, one of my absolute favorite places to eat. And w- uh, one of the words in the name of this place is chocolate. <laughs> so okay. I, I noticed this, uh, this uh, van in front with, with the, the advertisement for this absolute favorite place. And I was wondering, hmm, I wonder what kinds of things are inside there. And so it was one of those things that I just sort of noted on my way to, as I was mulling over this precarious shopping trip with my son. We get to the store and we go we go in, and it was actually a pretty easy trip as, these, as far as these things go. And soon enough, I, we were back inside the car and driving home. And I was thinking to myself, well, that went well, but um, even when it, it's easy, it's still hard. I was contemplating that reality about what it's like to be a special needs parent. And really, you know, although I'm dealing with autism, when I say something, even when it's, it's easy, it's still really hard. I'm really talking about struggles that are open-ended, whether it's a health struggle that you don't have um, an endpoint to, or it's a financial struggle, or it's a vocational confusion, or it's something long-term that is with you like an unwanted house guest. And it's just in your face all the time, and you have no idea when it's going to move out. And so that can be, you know, even when you have a good day, you're going, phew, I got through that, but what else is still ahead of me? So I was, 
you know, contemplating these things as I was driving home. And lo and behold, that white van, the same one with the decal, appears in front of me again. And I'm driving home and in the opposite direction now, but it's still in front of me. And in a sense, it's still leading the way. So I had to think about that because um, it, that white van with, you know, the, the promise of yummy things inside of it, good things, um, and a reminder of, like, how much I enjoy myself at this restaurant, what a blessing it is, bookended my shopping trip. It was literally a bookend on one side and on the other side. It was like <laughs> I felt like I had met a roadside angel with, with glad tidings that I hadn't quite <laughs> deciphered yet. So I went home and thought about that. And I realized that, you know, if you're struggling with something open-ended, what it comes down to is hope. You start to question, what, what am I allowed to hope in? I don't want to put, set my hopes on something that's unrealistic in this open-ended struggle that I'm going to be crushed later when those hopes are not realized. When, when what you're dealing with is so large and amor amorphous and doesn't have borders around it, you start to really question what you're allowed to hope, how much you're allowed to hope. And that anything that, that feels hope like that just sucks the joy right out of your life, such that I can look at my son and sometimes forget that he's a great gift and it just seems like one big burden to take care of him because he requires this and requires that and I'm always on edge. And so that's the wrong perspective to have. Um, so I had to think about that. What did that van, what was the message that va that van was trying to say to me in kind of a profound way? And what I can, came up with was this, was I thought the van was trying to say, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew the end of your beginning of your shopping trip and the end of your shopping trip. He knew you going in one direction and coming back in the other, that you may not see the borders around your problems, but God has set his parameters around it. Just like it says in the Bible, he says to the sea, this far you should go and no further. That that's how God looks at it. The second thing was that Van was whispering to me was the fact that even though to God, my issue with autism or whatever open-ended thing I'm struggling with uh, seems so huge to me, he, you know, he knows, he knows the size of it, but he remembers how overwhelming it is for me. And he remembers that I need these, these encouragements that someone is in control of the full, uh, the full size of this, the full breadth of whatever I'm going through. And then I think one other thing that the van was saying to me was God wants to give us good things in the midst of our ongoing struggle. That van, I'm pretty positive. I never got to peek inside, but I'm pretty positive that van had really good things inside <laughs> of it. And I think God is trying to say, yes, even in the midst of this like fierce battle that you're locked in with autism and the fierce battles that we face that are so scary and open-ended that there is still room for blessing in the middle of that. So what I kind of said to myself in the end was this, and I'll just read it for you. It's a, it's a little piece of advice. It says, cut yourself some slack both ways, coming and going. It's a difficult thing that you do and you're doing it bravely, heroically. So that's another thing that the van was saying, give, give yourself some grace here because God would have you have that grace. Oh, Rebecca, that's just lovely. Thank you so much for coming on and doing the show. I just uh, so enjoy your writing. And um, if you want to go to Rebecca's uh, blog, you can get all of these stories. They're at RebeccaRee.net, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, 
net. Thank you so much for uh, doing the show today. It's a joy for me to do so. Thanks, Rebecca. And blessings to you and your family, and have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. You bet. We'll take a short break and be back in just a minute. Ted Ross with a Faith in Life Minute. Perhaps you're feeling hopeless today about your finances. Author and financial expert Crystal Payne says there's always hope to turn things around. Realize that you're never stuck. I think so many people, they're underemployed or unemployed right now, and it's, you know, it's hard and it's scary. But to realize that you're not stuck and you can always at least make little changes that can help propel you in a good direction. And so, Start by, you know, setting some financial goals. Maybe it's something as simple as saying, you know, this year we are not going to use our credit cards or we're going to pay off our credit cards or, you know, set some some line in the sand that is going to make a difference in your life and so that if you work toward that every month, every week, every day, you can look back and you can see, wow, we really made some progress here. Get more financial help from Crystal Payne at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. I am so glad to have in my studio Pastor Rick Sherber, CEO of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, and Tim Walsh, Dr. Tim Walsh, uh, Senior Vice President. I like Senior Vice President. It's Vice President. I'm getting it? there, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Rick, welcome. Accent the senior part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that hurt. Yeah. But gentlemen, welcome. We are, uh, as you know, uh, George Fraser and I do real recovery on weekends, and we love the recovery community. And we love men and women who are trying to find ways out of their addictions. And I think we are living in a world now that's more addicted than ever. That's for yes, sure. Yes. We were had a gala in Mankato, and I was sharing that uh, they're currently, last year they confiscated over one ton of meth. And just to get an idea of this, there are about 10 doses of meth to a gram. And if you calculate one ton, that's 950 thousand doses of meth and i asked the guys if the police confiscated one gram of meth how many did they not confiscate and they said probably between 100 and 500 doses wow so that means if there was one ton there could be 500 tons of meth out there in the last 12 months in minnesota that's being used that's just meth yeah, that's just meth. Just, just meth. And yeah, there's it, a lot of other drugs that are finding their ways. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing that we're starting to see, Bill, is uh, it's called fentanyl and carfentanyl, which are opioid synthetics. And I, I know the public is starting to hear about these, but fentanyl is 50 times the power of morphine. And then if you get up to carfentanyl, it's 10,000 mm. times the potency of 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 uh, opium, uh, so it's just it's just amazing. That's getting salted in not just heroin. That's starting to show up in virtually all drugs, all street drugs, all illegal drugs. You know, Tim, I saw a lethal dose of that, and it was next to a penny. That's correct. Two and, granules. Yeah. Yes, and the amount of uh, the dose that would kill you was uh, remarkably yeah. stunning. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't take very much. 
No, and it's designed for maximum potency for to cause addiction. And then, of course, people are looking for a greater and greater and more and more potent high, and then that results ultimately in their in a cardiac arrest and death. Mm-hmm. Wow. And alcohol is still by far the greatest drug that we're seeing of people coming in the program. And uh, it's epidemic out there. Last time I looked, there are 623,000 Minnesotans that have a DWI in their record. 623,000. That's right. That's a huge number. It yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. So those are the people that just got caught. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So and how many others not, are yeah, driving sorry, around no. not getting caught? Yeah. You know, it's one. It's now one in eight uh, Americans uh, uh, actually meet the criteria for binge use, episodic abuse. One in eight adult Americans are now meeting that criteria for episodic abuse or binge use. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when, when oh. Pastor Rich talks about this being epidemic levels, uh, alcohol is off the charts. Yeah. Now, there's more people identifying as nuns. They have no spiritual uh, right. connection. And there's also a greater increase in loneliness. So I think this is a perfect recipe. This is a perfect storm for addiction, oh. isn't it? It is. You know, one of the things I, I was, me and my wife were talking about this last night, um, it seems like the last 10 stories I've heard from Teen Challenge residents, every one of them has talked about sexual um, uh, a crisis. Some of them, they were, they were raped they were, or, or there was a, uh, a crisis in their home, some trauma that, that they just had to cover the pain, and that's what turned them mm-hmm. to drugs. Mm-hmm. And we're living in such a dysfunctional world. People don't know how to live, how to, how to cope anymore. And so we're... There's just such easy accessibility to drugs and alcohol, so it exactly. covers the pain. Let's go that route. Wouldn't it seem that if you were Satan, that you'd want to try to injure someone as young as possible? Yes. You would want an episode, uh, something traumatic, yeah. um, a sexual um, inappropriate behavior or something where you've got a, a, a place you can go, a wound you can go back to. Well, last night, uh, the Nicollet County uh, prosecutor was speaking to the audience at our gala and she got up and she she almost burst into tears and she yeah. said my biggest um, concern right now is what we're seeing with the the kids she, the adolescent she said in the the high schooler she said um, we're years ago years ago it was alcohol she said now it's meth and heroin that yeah. we're seeing in the schools and she said it's at crisis levels down in our area and um, ki- kids kids are trying to cover the pain they mm-hmm. uh it's uh it's a very dysfunctional world and we um have drugs and alcohol at our disposal and uh, they're using it that's right not to mention kids want to fit in kids right. want to belong they yeah. they're if they got pushed to the margins they'll hang out with the kids that are at the margins and yeah. a lot of the times those kids are using yes yeah. Yes, yeah. No, that's right. And, and what we're seeing, too, of course, is, you know, vaping is being presented as if it is an alternative to smoking. And vaping, you know, what does it have? It has this maximum dose of nicotine. Mm-hmm. And then you throw into that, uh, the, the word out there is, of course, marijuana. It's medicinal. It's organic. It's green. It's good. And what we're finding is the potency of marijuana is just uh, it's just incredible. It's, 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 it's nothing like the marijuana of uh, 20 years ago. Uh, and then you throw into the mix, of course, uh, social media pornography and so on and all of that and gaming is all designed for maximum potency and addiction so i think you're exactly right bill the enemy is designing these things Mm -hmm. for maximum potency maximum addiction yeah we certainly don't have a better society if the society is stoned and we're trying to say we're doing it legally yeah 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 
And one of the things that we've seen, we just did a, a, another round of outcome studies with the Wilder Foundation. And uh, uh, Tim, why don't you talk about that? Oh, we sure. were excited when we've seen the results, this program works. And uh, the level of addict we've seen walking through the doors the last couple of years, if you put them through 28 days of treatment, they're not even sober yet. Wow. And that's uh, that model is not working for the people, the clients we're seeing walk through the doors. But talk about our outcome study. Yeah, so our, the Wilder found that our clients who complete both our short-term and our long-term program and they have now uh, been out of our program for at least a year. 67% don't use at all. And then add on top of that 13 to 14%. It's right around in there. People who, who lapse once but then don't use again. So we are now up to an 80% uh, successful outcome uh, for our, our clients. Uh, the, the, although I got to tell you, uh, I would add to that. The one outcome through that study that actually made me weep uh, was 96%, in fact, I'm starting to get a little uh, misty right now, 96% of our clients uh, came to a commitment to Christ while at Minnesota Adult wow. Teen Challenge. And what was interesting, too, is um, uh, we get a lot of opiate users coming through the program, and um, a lot of the other treatment models say there is no success for opiate use, you have to put them on MATs, which is methadone or long-term suboxone or opiate replacement therapies. Um, talk about what was our success of opiate users. It, it, so they, first of all, out of all the clients we tracked with, none went back to MATs, zero. So 100% were free of MATs. Uh, and second of all, uh, we, it, was, it was, I believe, 4% uh, of our opioid users uh, went back uh, to use, and that doesn't even distinguish. You know, did they did they drink once? Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 marginal. It's it's uh, it was hardly even recognizable as a percent of those who went back to opioid use of some kind. Mm-hmm. Talk about a, a representative, uh, maybe two or three kinds of people that show up at Teen Challenge. Yeah, good. So um, in our long term program, uh, people come in and they they often have uh, extensive. Uh, chronic legal uh, issues. They show up with two bags of property in their hand. They've exhausted all of their opportunities. They have about six and a half treatment episodes uh, on average. Uh, and many of them have nowhere to go, and they've used us as the absolute last resort. So that's that's one of the biggest profiles that we get in the program, people who are utterly desperate. Uh, they've run up on options, and, they're, and, and now uh, I would say Christ is their only hope. Mm-hmm. And I like that because... Uh, there's a little saying, you've got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's, that's where right. you find sick, uh, help. And uh, I think the people walking through the doors, for most of them that are enrolling in the one-year program, they realize that the, this is uh, done. And we ask all the time our residents on the street, what's the word about Teen Challenge? Right. And what do they say to you? Well, well, first of all, they said, don't go to Teen Challenge if you, if you don't want to change. You know, yeah. that's uh, although we, we accept everybody. I don't care what their motivation is, to be honest. But so that's the first thing they, they, that they say. The second thing is it's going to it's going to transform your life. Yeah. If you would have asked yeah. me on the street when I was in high school, I would have said Teen Challenge is, you know, an acne problem. <laughs> clearly something I had back then, which was a teen challenge. Yeah. Yeah, How do I was. clear this up, you yeah. know? Um, so tell me more about uh, some of the um, the people that come into the program that might have been completely blindsided by something in life. Has there been people that had a, soldier, a, a shoulder replacement surgery or something yes. and all of a sudden they're on 
uh, oxycodone, and now all of a sudden they're off to the races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The typical pathway is is somebody has chronic pain or they have a surgery, uh, they then start using. Uh, these synthetic opioids like oxycodone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, after, we're finding actually as early as five days, they start getting hooked. Uh, and then uh, they, of course, run out of their supply. And then they start uh, rifling through all of their relatives' uh, drug cabinets to find more. And then when they exhaust that supplier, when, when people are on to them, uh, that's when they go to heroin. And heroin uh, right now is extremely cheap and accessible virtually everywhere. That's yeah. the pathway. And when you talk about heroin, you don't have to shoot heroin anymore, do you? No. I mean, there's no, other ways to consume it. That's correct. You yeah. can smoke it. You can eat it. Okay. You can... Yeah, and of course, opioids are now in in pill form, easily accessible pill mm-hmm. form. And then our our clients are also uh, masters at combining that with other drugs, uh, uh, in in the forms that uh, Pastor Rich talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a friend who had hip replacement surgery last year, and I asked her what her pain medication was leaving the hospital, and she said, "I got um, oxycodone." Right. And I said, "I'm just curious, um, how many did you use?" And she goes, "I used three of them." So. By, you know, the second day she was kind of done using them. I said, out of curiosity, how many did you get? She said, I left the hospital with a bottle that had 85 of them Gee. in the bottle. Gee. Yeah. That was a year ago. Yeah. So you've got a bottle that big in your medicine cabinet. Who knows what hands that could get into? That's right. Well, the, there was an article many people might know about it. I think it was like a year ago. Um, City Pages did a uh, story on I, an individual, I, I don't know, it was a college educator, someone who, a professional who uh, went into the hospital, was given oxycodone, and um, uh, it was, he tells his story, I think it was like 10 days or something, I can't remember the exact sequence of the story, but a relatively short time, and he told the story, how he was addicted, and then what it was like coming off of the medication. And um, um, the concern that I have for every opiate user we see coming in the program our first number one alcohol is number yep. I was the highest, but number two is meth. And right. uh, the, I was uh, just last week, as I shared, talking to a group of uh, 30 guys from the uh, Duluth program and asked them, how many of you guys were meth users? And uh, it looked like three quarters of the hands went up. And uh, it, it, there is so much meth use in Minnesota uh, it's really a crisis, and it's so bad in many counties right now. The number of um, people they're seeing in detoxes, uh, it used to be alcohol. Now it's and more people are coming in for treatment and in detoxes for meth than there are coming in for That's alcoholism. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's... All right, let me take a little break. I'm delighted to have Pastor Rich Sherber and Tim Walsh in studio from Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. I'll take a short break and be right back. show. So glad to have Pastor Rich Sherber and Tim Walsh in from Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. And I'm curious, gentlemen, uh, when you have someone who's in active addiction, and I know there's lots of family members and lots of people in cars driving home right now, and they're thinking, how do I, how do I lovingly have them listen to me? Because they're killing themselves. Yeah. 
Yes. So what we do when we first connect with a family is is we try to get the the message very clearly that they have to set this boundary, this limit. That and and, and the conversation goes something like this: You know, I love you, but I can't continue to support you uh, in the direction you're going. You're going to kill yourself, and because I love you. Uh, we're we're actually going to be cutting off uh, support to you in these ways uh, unless you go to Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. So the family, usually they get more than one of them there to to confront them, and they make it very clear. Uh, and then, of course, the person starts bargaining, or they may they may have an eruption and then and try to blow up the intervention of the family at that point. But the family then stays fast, and they say, no, no, this is it. Is that you can't live in our basement? You can't use our groceries. You're going to have to find some other place to live, uh, and I and, and that really pains me. And if you end up on the street, that's going to break my heart. But I cannot allow you to keep going in this direction. Something along those lines. Mm-hmm. That's usually what it sounds like. Yeah, and yeah. safe to say that many of these men and women have chased away everyone in their life that ever loved them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interventions are do work, and. Uh, the reality is that an addict will continue using until something, there's a crisis of mm-hmm. some form. And if there isn't uh, a legal crisis or a health crisis, families can create one. They can do an intervention and say, just as you said, Tim, th- th- this is over. There's no more of this in our home. And uh, it takes a lot of guts. It's it's yes. very difficult. And uh, we have a number of interventionists that work with us. If they need help, they can call. We can contact them with uh, somebody that can help them. Uh, but um, it has to get to the point, too, where, where family members are, are uh, they united. say enough is enough. That's and right, united. united. Exactly. Yeah, because right. family members want to come back in with their love. But they've been so manipulated and conned and lied to that it's really hard. They've yeah. tried to create their own healthy boundaries, haven't they? Right. Yeah, that's correct. Right. Yeah. And and we see it, too, that um, what happens at Teen Challenge, uh, a lot of people uh, will they'll, they'll try to do the uh, easiest route and mm-hmm. come in, maybe say, well, I'll do outpatient. Well, yeah. that oftentimes doesn't work for the level addict we see coming through the doors. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they'll come in and say, well, I'm only doing short term. But what's unique is that uh, with Teen Challenge versus other treatment programs, our one-year program works very close in sync with our 30-day 28-day program, and so that the uh, clients who are in the short-term inpatient program get to see what's happening with the long-term programs, and on average, about 50% of people in the short-term program will eventually transfer over the long-term program voluntarily, so it's working. They're uh, they're able to, to, to see these other addicts whose lives are really changing. And so the majority of them, once you say, Tim, oh, yeah. come in, they don't want to do a year long oh, yeah. program. And right. so they, the best thing is for parents and family members not to push the one year program. I just get them in the doors mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then get them around teen challenge. And, uh, people often change their attitude once they're there and, and God starts working on yeah. their heart. So when people come into the program, there's certainly going to be people that, uh, have been uh, hostile to God their whole life. And maybe they've had a spiritual influence from the, the kingdom of darkness. Is yes. there uh, times where you see that kind of influence coming in the doors? 
Yes. Yeah. So, so by the way, we get uh, people say, oh, Teen Challenge is a Christian program. Well, when people come into our short-term license treatment, they have the option. It's, it's totally voluntary mm-hmm. uh, if they want to participate in the Christian programming uh, or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and that's the way we set it up. And we do that actually on purpose. One is uh, we want to widen the net of who comes into uh, our program. But we get everything. We get self-identified pagan, heathen, Satanist, uh, occultist. Uh, we, we get virtually everything in our program, agnostic, uh, atheist, uh, that, that come in in the front door. So they are coming with unbelievable spiritual experiences uh, that they've had in their lives. And, of course, we see that manifest mm-hmm. uh, while they're in the program uh, very frequently. So, yes, you're exactly right. But I would say that uh, just so the listeners know that I'd say probably 75 to 80 percent of the people who come in, even our short-term program, come from a faith, Christian faith background. Mm-hmm. And they're come, in Minnesota, there are all different models of treatment. You've got Native American, you've got every kind of right. model out there. And so uh, people know that our long-term program is Christian. And, yeah, right. and so the majority of people coming through the doors, uh, they don't have to be spooked. I think they're going to... No, that's right. You, do, you get some of the people who are not Christian and we welcome them just like everyone else. And, and uh, But I think the majority, as I said, are, are coming yeah. from Christian backgrounds. There's desires to seek and save the lost, yeah. and the lost are lost. Yeah. yeah, And a lot of these people are what you called, Bill, the nons, which yes. are 25% plus now of our whole population don't affiliate with anything. Mm-hmm. And so we, we get that too. Uh, but even the Christians that come in the door, uh, that hasn't been an intense personal uh, relationship to Christ. And so uh, so they get introduced to that there. So even even those who identify as Christian, uh, they, they haven't been living it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they get a the chance to live it while they're at Minnesota at Teen Challenge. So it's just going to be the greatest gift of, in their life yeah. to come and have Amen. a time yeah. to let their brain settle down, to get sober, and to hear about the good news of Jesus yeah. Christ. And we, we've doubled in size over the last five years. Last year, over 3,030 individuals came through one of our programs here in Minnesota. And, and I think the reason our program has grown, expanded like it has, is because of the services. Uh, we're, we're not just uh, a soup kitchen where people can come. We have... Uh, professional staff tim himself uh, runs our mental health department why don't you talk about that we sure. a lot of the people coming through the program it's not just the addiction there's some some mental health issues mm-hmm. that have to be addressed as well and we do that and have a tremendous level of success yeah, yeah, exactly. please share yeah exactly so we have uh, clients who have serious mental health issues we actually just did a a, a poll uh, based upon our screening and assessments and it's it's now about two thirds people have what they would consider to be a very serious mental health issue along with uh, their drug and alcohol addiction and of course they have serious medical issues that go along with that and then that means that sometimes they need to be on certain medications that help them with all that uh, and they need uh, care that goes on so we call it the holistic care model. Uh, and we're addressing the whole person, body, mind, spirit. Uh, that, that's, that's the way we orient our, both our licensed programs on the short-term side and our recovery and discipleship program on the long-term side, both. The growth has been huge. I mean, yeah. you are in how many locations right now? We have 11 different campuses, mm-hmm. and we're just in the process of uh, we have a purchase agreement out. Uh, I don't probably want to talk about that on the air, but there's uh, another 65,000 yeah. square foot facility we're looking to expand. We're also looking to expand up in uh, 
north central Minnesota. And um, last night when we were in the Mankato area, I must have had a half dozen people came to us begging us, saying, please come down to Mankato, help us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they need Bill. The, the reality is the short-term programs are too short of time. And the, there isn't a funding option for uh, long-term programming uh, it's pretty much your 28 days or 60 days. And then, so what we do at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, we have the one-year program, and we uh, probably 95% of the people who are part of that one-year program do not pay one penny out of pocket to be there. And what we do is we try to get them on general assistance that helps with the border lodge. Mm-hmm. Then we, by donations, cover the rest of the programming fees. We can... Uh, help your loved one irregardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they come through the door and they say, listen, we have nothing. Yeah, they, they meet the technical level. definition of homelessness and they, they meet the definition of poverty. Have nothing, lost mm-hmm. everything through addiction, and uh, they come to us and say, help us. We're here because we love people. Mm-hmm. We love them back to health, and it's working. It's tremendous, the success we've seen with chronic addiction. Yeah, I've been blessed to be in the chapel service several times in the Joy of the Lord is something that is can only be experienced at yeah. Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. Yeah. There's tremendous joy. I love this ministry, Bill. I love mm. helping people who have lost everything. And, you know, we were talking earlier, we, we get gang members that come into mm-hmm. Teen Challenge and they're hardened. And I'll tell you, sometimes it's probably the highlights of, I've been doing this most of my life working with uh, people involved by drugs and alcohol and and the highlight of my life is to see the hardest of the hard mm-hmm. when God touches their heart and to see them they how they become God's greatest champion, mm-hmm. champions for the kingdom. And some of our best staff. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 In Philippians three ten it says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Yeah. And you see men like men and women like that who yeah. are really hard and come to faith in Christ you witness the power of his resurrection yeah. that's exactly right well you know people don't know this and i don't i don't tell my story much my my own life i i didn't grow up in an evangelical christian home my i was a hell raiser and a long bouts with juvenile corrections and police and arrests and and years of drug addiction and at 22 years of age, it just caught up to me. And I was on my way to a drug deal with a half a kilo of marijuana in my trunk and a whole bag of pills. And Christians were out on the street witnessing during the Jesus People era. Yeah. And they shared the gospel message with me. And, it was, I, and I, I challenged mm-hmm. them on the street. I said, I don't believe. I'm an atheist. And they said, how about if God proves himself? And I said, let God prove. And I prayed there was probably a hundred of my drug addict friends on that street. I prayed the sinner's prayer. And it was so real. To me, that night, I went home the next morning, I got rid of all my drugs, and I mean, it made a complete 180. Mm-hmm. Nothing short of a miracle could do that. God yeah. is doing that in life. That's so powerful. Pastor Rich Sherbert, Tim Walsh, uh, thank you so much for coming into the studio. That wraps up our show, not only for the day, but for the week. I hope you have a great weekend. God bless. It's time to ring the bell. I will see you Monday. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.